Hello and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Nizar Hassan and I'm joined as usual by Benjamin Red. How are you, Ben, today? I'm doing great, Nizar, uh, because we've got a very special episode of the Lebanese Politics Podcast today. It's a very special episode where Lebanon learns the value and the magic of electricity. <laughs> so we're not going to stick to our normal uh, our normal script uh, this week. Usually we talk about the news of the week uh, and then we get into one big topic, right? But this week, all of the major news, like all of the really, really important news had to do with the same topic. And that is our topic this week, electricity. And and joining us to speak about this is, thank God, an actual expert, uh, Jessica Albaid of Chatham House. Uh, Jessica, welcome to the show. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm an energy consultant. Uh, I'm also an academy associate at Chatham House, but I work for different organizations in, uh, in different locations. Uh, on the power sector in Lebanon, I'm currently working with Kuluna Irada, which is a civic organization promoting uh, political reforms, especially on the components of SAD, and this is where electricity is a large component, which amounts to $3.5 billion of pledges. Well, welcome to the show. We are super excited to have you here. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned magic earlier, but really the magic here is all in the politics. It It's not in the science. The science is easy. Lebanon has faced major electricity issues, you know, for the past three decades, stretching back to the Civil War. Uh, and we've known how to fix these issues for just as long. The, the technical solutions, they're not rocket science. If you want to learn more about what the problems are, we did an episode uh, on this last season. Uh, if you if you go back to episode 14, uh, titled Electricity Crisis, you can you can listen to me and, and Nizar uh, go through in painstaking detail all of the problems. Uh, but I'm just going to very quickly summarize all of that right now. And it all boils down to basically the country doesn't have enough electricity, doesn't produce enough electricity. If you're in Beirut, you don't necessarily notice this too much because the power is only cut three hours a day. And, and also in Beirut, a lot of buildings have generators to cover that gap. But outside of Beirut, a lot of places have something closer to 12 hours of, of power a day. You know, half the day they don't have state electricity. Uh, this is the case in, in Tripoli, even Lebanon's second city. And the, this electricity situation got so bad that in 2013, the energy, the energy ministry rented a couple of power barges, actually, to supply extra juice to the grid. Of course, this was just a stopgap measure. It didn't actually fix anything. And it actually caused a lot of, like, political intrigue surrounding corruption allegations and all sorts of stuff. And, and, and it didn't even give us 24-hour power as well. So that was a whole issue, right? And besides this, just speaking generally, there are huge issues with the transmission network leading to technical and non-technical losses, non-technical meaning stealing, basically, as well as billing issues. Um, something as simple as reading a meter in Lebanon isn't always so easy. So all of this, as well as other factors, has all combined to make the state electricity company, uh, how, how somebody help me out in saying its name? Electricité du Liban. I'm just going to call it EDL. Uh, <laughs> all these factors have combined to make EDL one of the biggest drains on the state budget. And it, it sucks out something like $1.5 to $2 billion every year uh, out of state coffers. But all of that might be about to change. This week, a ministerial committee agreed on a plan to fix the sector. They met four times this week. And finally, on Thursday, they agreed on the plan. And this plan is going to go before cabinet. Now, word is that's going to happen on Monday up in Babda and that it will be adopted on Monday. But there is still this big dispute, uh, not over the plan itself, but around how the plan is actually going to be implemented. Is it going to be implemented by the energy ministry, which is the option said to be preferred by the future movement and the free patriotic movement, which controls the ministry? 
or the Tenders Department, a state agency connected to the Central Inspection Bureau, which seems to be the option that's preferred by basically everybody else. So uh, assuming that they sort this out on Monday and they adopt the plan, what are we looking at? What does the plan call for? Let's get into it. Okay, so the plan has a, a couple of different tracks. It has like a short-term track and a long-term track. In, in the short term, the first priority is to just plug the gap. Like, let's get 24-hour electricity. Right now, the current generation uh, capacity here in Lebanon is something like, or, or the effective uh, capacity generation is something like 2,000 megawatts. But at peak demand, it's, it's way more than that. It's something like 3,500 megawatts. And so we've got this huge, like, 1.5 gigawatt gap. And the solution, the temporary solution in the plan is to create this sort of, like, temporary generation capacity of 1,450 megawatts as soon as this year and next year. Like, have it, have it all in place by next year. Okay, so I'm still a little bit unclear exactly what the plan calls for. Like, how, like, what is this temporary generation? So temporary generation is kind of similar in concept to the barges, except that it's on land. So it's still kind of big generators that should mobile generators that you can just bring in, install next to a power plant in, or in its vicinity. And then you're just generating from these mobile units that you can remove at any point in time in three or five years later. Okay. And in addition to this, we also have updates to the grid uh, because the grid is not great and, and it needs to be updated especially things like the link in Mansourie it has not been completed yet the plan calls for the completion of that link which is a politically it's a very sensitive topic in Mansourie we, we also have the installation of smart meters ba basically the idea is you wouldn't need to send somebody out to read the meters anymore that would electronically be sent back like the the, the reading on the meter would be electronically sent back to EDL so they could do this automatically also, though, EDL would be able to turn off the electricity if you weren't paying your bill. So this gets around that huge billing issue that we, that we mentioned earlier in the podcast uh, and, and would definitely help financially as well. Also, we have uh, this is mentioned in the plan, uh, but it's actually already started. It's a tender for what's called floating storage and regasification units. Basically, it's a, a huge ship that takes liquefied natural gas and regasifies it to make it usable uh, at a power plant. And the, the tender is for three of these ships to be docked uh, outside uh, Deir Amar in the north, Salata in the north, and Zahrani in the south. And, and this would allow Lebanon to import natural gas instead of using diesel and heavy fuel oil. Well, natural gas is is a much cheaper option. Uh, so that's also good for the finances. And and the idea is these three ships would be available, uh, you know, within the coming months. Uh, as of the end of this month, the energy ministry is hoping to announce its uh, preferred bidders. And then it's up to cabinet to decide who gets the contracts. And then we're off to the races on this. So as we mentioned, all, all of this goes into sort of like the finances, right? And cutting the fuel import bill, according to Zahir Suleiman, an advisor to Nada Bustani, the energy minister, he says cutting the, the bill by these FSRUs and using natural gas is going to save something like $600 million every year for the state. But also, once we have these, this temporary generation capacity online, well, that's going to increase the number of hours of electricity and once the hours of electricity get past 20 hours per day on average for the country, that's when policy advisors are saying, oh, well, that's the time to start increasing the tariffs from EDL. 
because right now the tariff is really, really low. It averages something like nine, nine and a half cents per uh, kilowatt hour. But the cost of generation is probably something more like 16 to 18 cents per kilowatt hour. Um, and so the idea is to raise it up to something where EDL is not bleeding money so much. Yeah, the, the idea is that I would end up at about 14 cents per kilowatt hour once they start increasing the tariffs, which would be this year, next year, whenever that whenever we reach, you know, a more than 20 hours per day of electricity. And so these two things combined, as well as this effort to collect money owed to EDL, which I think is really interesting, this is supposedly going to put EDL on a sustainable financial footing. Although a lot of questions remain over like the cost and and who exactly is going to pay for all of this stuff uh, and and how that's going to work. Uh, this is also going to put the state on a much more sustainable financial footing because EDL is such a huge drain on the budget. If you take care of that drain, then you automatically put uh, the budget in a much better position. By the way, side note, since we didn't have a news wrap this week, Ali Hassan Khalil, the finance minister, gave a revised budget back to cabinet this week. The original budget was submitted back in September, but remember there wasn't a cabinet at that time. So now we have a revised budget back at before cabinet, and there's a huge push, of course, to pass this and to make sure that this budget includes real cuts. And we had a couple of like bigwigs in town this week. Farid Belhaj, who is uh, the MENA VP for the World Bank, which pledged $4 billion at the Cider Conference. He warned Lebanon would get like zero without reforms, uh, sort of strident language. We also had Jürgen Rigterink. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. He is the uh, a vice president at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, uh, which pledged $1.35 at CEDRA. And he said Lebanon needs to implement painful and unpopular reforms. And, and politicians don't want to do this. They don't want to implement these painful and unpopular reforms. They don't want to cut things out of the budget that's going to cause a lot of people a lot of problems. Instead, they want to fix electricity, and they're hoping that this is going to be enough to sort of like salvage the state finances, salvage the budget situation enough, and please uh, the international community, the donors enough that they keep giving to keep Lebanon on this you know, positive track. To the point on fixing EDL and the fiscal deficit, so it might be a common misconception to assume that once we do remove the subsidies, everything is going to be okay and we're going to de- cut uh, the fiscal deficit in EDL, which is not quite accurate because the fiscal deficit results from the subsidies, but also from the technical and non-technical losses. And these are too high and fixing that happens at a, at a cost, which is going to be a high cost. So fixing the transmission, kind of upgrading actually, the transmission network, according to SADR, is going to cost up more than $400 million. So when you factor all these components on the distribution, the smart meters, the increased generation, this comes at an added cost, which is not listed in what we're calling as a plan, but I prefer to call it as a report because a plan normally includes all these costs and all the revenues you're estimating to collect over certain periods of time until the, at least the break-even point. So when we say this is going to at least fix EDL, we, we don't even know when it's going to happen. So it's not necessarily going to happen in 2020. I assume it's going to take multiple years and it's not clear in that report when this is going to happen. Indeed, I mean, the thing that I couldn't get my head around in this report is the fact that it never mentions how much things will cost and how much money the state will be making out of them. And this is insane. Like, this is the first thing that you can think of in terms of electricity in Lebanon, right? The big issue is they haven't been investing in power uh, generation for ages, since 1997 at least. 
and this has been the main problem and now they're saying okay we want to invest all this this money and we want to upgrade the the network and they're not saying how much it costs and this is the plan that they're adopting i i think it's maybe it's not the final version maybe it's not the final draft that we got but if this is the plan that the council of ministers is voting on i think this is a scandalous like presentation of such a major transformation in one of the the sectors um yeah and and just a note on that like at least the the version that i know of it came from you know, right before Nada Bustani presented things last month to the cabinet. But we know as well, like from uh, like her own public statements, like there have been no substantive changes to this. So we think that this is sort of how it is. And and and, and speaking of, I, I think that's a great point you bring up about the investment. We, we haven't even talked about the long-term investment yet. Like, so we, we, we went over the, the short-term stuff, but the big stuff, like we're like, a whole lot of money is that is in this long-term track, which is going to begin in parallel with the short-term track. And the long-term track is, I, I think the headline number here is six plants in six years, which is huge, massive investment that we have not seen, you know, ever, I, I think is, <laughs> is fair to say. Altogether with renewables, this plan calls for some three gigawatts in new capacity to come online over the next six years by 2025. And, and so this includes the Dera Mar plant, uh, the second Dera Mar plant, uh, which is supposed to come online in 2021 with 360 megawatts and then ramp up to full capacity, 550 megawatts in 2022. And then 2022 is sort of like a big year in the plan, right? So we've got the Dera Mar going to full capacity. We also have Zahrani 2 coming online. We have Salata 1 coming online. And, and so all of a sudden, as of 2022, we seem to have like solved a whole lot of problems. A whole lot of big projects seems to be coming to a conclusion. Then in 2023, that next year, both the Zahrani, the new Zahrani and Salata plants ramp up to full capacity, 550 megawatts each. Um, and then we've got sort of like the, the second phase of the long term happening after that. 2024, we have a new Zoot plant coming online, ramping up to full capacity the next year in 2025. We have a new plant in Hreshe coming online in 2024, a new GA plant coming online in 2025. And, and then that is in addition to, there, there's a seventh plant, Salata 2, which it doesn't, the, the plan doesn't say when it's coming online. And there's also significant input from uh, wind and solar projects. Uh, it would be probably worth mentioning that the last power plant we've had implemented in Lebanon was probably a Deramar in the late 1990s, 1999. Uh, after that, we've only had minor additions, uh, reciprocating engines, which total to 270 megawatt, which is very, very minimal capacity in Zook and GE, which are at, uh, 192 uh, in Zook and 72 megawatt in GE. So over that period of almost two decades, we haven't had implementation of power plants that ha has been halted for a long period of time. I hope that these are going to be implemented. These have been on the plan of the 2010, which is also annexed to this current plan, and they've been in SAD. So uh, something has been halting them. And I think someone should question why that happened. And the government has been saying, so they've been stalling us. We don't know who they are. But also in the letter that comes with the plan from the Minister of Energy, they do say that it requires the collaboration and efforts of all entities. So someone from these entities, probably from basic logic, was halting this. So why, can, why should we assume that this is no longer the case? What's, what's a guarantee for us that this is going to 
to go forward. I think it's a major question that the Lebanese should ask and the Lebanese deserve an answer to why we have been paying all this cost. And if I may add a comment to that, in addition to this very important question that you raised, I think it's good to give some context on why electricity plants like construction was halted. And if you go back to the mid-90s, the issue was that the reconstruction plan of Lebanon led by then Prime Minister Rafi Hariri was facing a huge uh, issue, which is the investment was not making enough returns. So the state had financial, major financial issues and decided to go in the path of privatization in several sectors, including electricity. And they said, we will privatize electricity in the future so that we don't spend a lot of money on it, a lot of public money, or we don't have public management of it. And then since this privatization decision was made, this tendency or this orientation, then they stopped building any new power plants. So the interesting thing is that in the mid-90s, we had big economic crisis, big financial crisis for the state, and then we stopped building electricity plants. 20 years later, we're paying the price for that while having a big economic crisis again, horrible state finances, and now we have to invest a lot of money into fixing this electricity. So this kind of, it's, it says how like postponing such an important investment in public services, how much cost it actually carries in the for the future of the country, especially that, you know, in addition to the 1.5 to $2 billion a year from EDL in terms of subsidies and waste, we're talking about four to $5 billion of additional costs that according to this report, at least, that result from the state's shortage in terms of power production. So it has been a huge drain on the Lebanese economy and on our pockets more than like just the treasury. And it's only because at that moment where this sector was not in shortage, it was already fulfilling the, re- the needs of Lebanese cities and villages in terms of electricity, but required investment back then, now that the real price is being paid. Yeah, I think that's a very important point because the further delays are just becoming more and more costly on the sector and the economy. It's very important, as you said. Uh, but I also want to mention something about the privatization of the sector. I feel also there's a common misconception on that. So there are two two types of private sector involvement that are commonly referred to. One is the privatization where you actually sell the entire asset. So we sell the entire sector. We decide that the utility is no longer to be state-owned. We're just going to sell it to, to a buyer, which could be a private company, local or international. And then it's it might remain as a monopoly, as it is now ideally, just like one company would, would be running it. Or we can do the private uh, public participation, which is the IPP, which was mentioned in SADR, and we get a private company to kind of contract the operation, the implementation and the operation, kind of BOT model, they build, operate, and then after uh, for uh, 20 or 25 years, and then the asset is returns to to the government or the state, the utility, which is now what's been advocating for in the SADR. So it's not actual privatization, it's more of a private sector engagement, which is very important. So research across uh, the world and studies have shown that private sector involvement in such roles would increase competition. And competition is what, uh, what's required for the sector to thrive because it decreases the cost, improves its performance. So that's what you, we need to focus on, increasing c- competition. But but that's that raises questions for me, right? Because most of these power plants are like according to the plan, not going to be build, operate, transfer agreements. They're going to be power purchasing agreements where the, the you know, if it's GE, for instance, they come in, they pay for building the entire plant on with an agreement and then they own the plant. They're not going to give it to the government or anything. And then the agreement is just that the state promises to pay them a certain amount of money to supply electricity. 
It's kind of a power purchase agreement model, actually. At the time we're recording this, there is no regulation that allows any authority to grant licenses for uh, PPAs. Uh, the regulation, the last law has expired in, a- in April 2018, and we still don't have an amendment to it. So the government, as part of the plan, is going to renew that period for two years, enabling the Council of Ministers to grant licenses for uh, purchase of, of power. However, regardless of that, in the regulation of EDL, EDL is a single buyer, so nobody's allowed to buy electricity except EDL. And so uh, private companies can install, operate, but they have to sell the government. And concerning what you just said about uh, the law that needs to be extended for two more years, the issue here is that there was supposed to be an electricity regulation authority created from the five people who would be state employees managing the sector. Uh, This committee or this authority was never actually created. And uh, this law, what it says is that in the law that creates this authority or that uh, stated the need for creation of this authority, they want to add a little article that says temporarily, while this authority is not present, we give the, the Council of Ministers based on the recommendation of two ministers, which are the energy ministry, obviously, and the finance ministry, the capacity to issue the licenses for companies to be producing uh, power uh, for these uh, PPAs. So this is the, the problem. The main problem was that this authority was not created and therefore we need this exceptional measure, which is temporary law amendment kind of, in order to allow the Council of Ministers to do this. That's a key point you've mentioned here. The regulatory authority is very important. So across the world, also research have shown the importance of having a regulatory authority. Across the Middle East, these kind of regulatory authorities operate in two ways. They either set recommendation or they have a full decision-making authority. In Lebanon, nobody has. The law 462 was issued in 2002 and included the regulatory authority, which was dismissed. And I feel uh, something is wrong in here because we're cherry picking which articles we're going to implement. Like we can uh, grant licenses, but we cannot implement a regulatory authority. In this report, it's not mentioned. So the law 462 uh, was never implemented. They took this uh, Council of Ministers article that was supposed to grant licenses for two years until the regulatory authority was established. And since it was never, they decided later on to just issue new laws and just give the Council of Ministers the authority to do that, which is now also advocated for in the new electricity plan as to give that to the Council of Ministers as per recommendation by the Minister of Energy and Minister of Finance. And we should focus on having a regulatory authority. Almost everyone in the world does have that, even all over the Middle East. So big question is, why is it not in this plan? It should be basically, right? Um, Okay, can I I take a step back and, and ask a different question on this? And that is just, is this plan workable? Whether or not we have a regulatory regulatory authority or not, or things are being done properly, you know, according to the law or not, is it technically sound to begin with? And is it like politically sound? Can this can this be done? And will it and will it fix the problems? So the plan does have good points, which nobody can deny. The other thing that nobody can deny is that it has never been a matter of plans by themselves. It's a matter of political will and how executable the plan is. So implementation is where the plans have failed in the past. The 2010 policy paper for the electricity sector was also approved by the Council of Ministers, assuming that this is going to be approved beginning next week. So the implementation is key. And I feel it's, it's an ambitious plan. It has good points, but it's ambitious as well. 
there are lots of points that I, I don't know if that can be implemented easily. And, and to me, one of these huge issues of implementability seems to be the issue of subsidies and the removal of subsidies. And, and, and basically what that means is, you know, going from paying nine cents per kilowatt hour up to 14 cents per kilowatt hour. That is a huge fucking increase. And I can't imagine that people are going to be too happy about that or take that line down, even if they say that, oh, your overall bill is going to come down. What about the people who don't have generators who are not going to be paying the generator bill anymore? What about those people who only, you know, and my guess is there's a whole lot of them who just go off of EDL. They're going to see a massive increase in their bill, it seems, and they're not going to be that happy about it. That's also a very important point. Uh, indeed, removing subsidy hasn't happened easily uh, across the world or in uh, neighboring countries. So also, if I can think of one place in the Middle East where that just happened overnight, it's Dubai uh, Electricity and Water Authority. As this has a background to it and the fact that the majority of people in Dubai are actually expats. This does not apply to Lebanon. This is where I need to mention the notion of a social contract. So subsidies have been in the Middle East part of the social contract that governments have had with the citizens. So we cannot adopt uh, just the simplistic fiscal approach to that. We should also account for to change that social contract and have a new contract in place actually normally takes time and lots of communication campaigns and uh, a very well thought of uh, tariff redesign. And probably the maybe the government and the Ministry of Energy are looking into that, but that needs sort of design. So yeah, that doesn't happen easily normally overnight. I also agree this is maybe the most sensitive part of the plan. And to me as well, I see it as the most sensitive one because first of all, we're going to be paying higher bills. As you mentioned, Ben, the poorest people who are not paying for private generators will be paying more and period, more, right? Because they will be consuming more electricity from the state. They will be paying more for each uh, unit of consumption and therefore their bill will be increasing. But in addition to bill increases, we will have also taxpayer money funding the new investments, right? And this money, this amount of money that we don't know yet because it's not in the plan, this will be also from our pockets, right? Maybe not the majority of it from the the poorest, but at the same time, if you look at this tax system in Lebanon and how the state generates its revenues, it's quite a regressive tax system, which means that we will be mostly funding these new investments. So these costs are not calculated in the bill that uh, this plan is proposing. It's proposing the bill, that, the, the equation that we will be actually saving money because we won't be paying for private generators. At the same time, we're paying new bills, new temporary investments, and new long-term investments, basically all from public funds. Wait, but I thought that a lot of this money would just come from center, which yes, that's like loans, but it's soft loans that you don't have to pay back for a long time. So it's basically taxpayer money, but the actual payment of it will be postponed for a few years and more debt. But what I mean is eventually who's paying this? It's taxpayers who are paying it. And to be more like specific, the, the current system of subsidies is, I understand what you said about the social contract. And I think that may be part of the equation. The way that electricity subsidies are portrayed in Lebanon seems a bit like a moral equation. If you don't get full electricity, why would you pay a good price for electricity? I don't think that's the case. I think politicians have realized that people will not cannot possibly pay the full cost of electricity because they're too poor simply because people's wages in the private sector especially in the informal private sector is really are really low and they cannot cover the full expenses of of livelihood costs so when we're talking about this this situation that has been going on for a long time where the state is subsidizing this it was subsidizing it out of need not out of luxury or out of some 
favor that it's doing to its own citizens. And a lot of these people who are relying on these subsidies will be in trouble if no specific measures or either targeted subsidies, which would be ideal, or other specific measures would be taken to increase the, the lower brackets of consumption in order to accommodate for these poorer sections of society and to make their cost the cost that they are paying lower than the cost that higher classes are paying. And and can I add just one other point? And and that is that we don't really know what the plan is because the document that I've seen at least is basically 29 pages with a couple hundred pages of like addendums or whatever, but the actual plan itself really isn't that specific and doesn't go into exact sources of funding or or a lot of a lot of the actual on the ground things that you would need in order to implement it. So on the plan, I've actually run a small survey on my social media on people's expectation. And I've asked if people do expect to have 24-7 electricity in the short to medium term. And non-shockingly, 80% have responded with no. And the primary reason for the majority of these is that they have stated the lack of trust in the government. And can we blame people? Because they've been promised electricity forever for almost three decades and they haven't received it. So it's probably expected and we can understand that. But here's where a key component should be in the plan, getting the trust of the people. And getting the trust of the people normally requires engaging them even in the early stages and the early process. So now we're discussing the plan, which until the current date is still unpublished. And that should be published, even if they're still discussing it, even if that's still not uh, finalized, because people have the right to know what they're actually investing their money on and people should be consulted on these matters. So basically to to sum things up, the government plan is not really a solid plan. It's more of a report on how to proceed in terms of what to do rather than how to do everything. We don't have a lot of details on how much things will cost, as you said. We know what the investments will be. We don't know how exactly the contracts will be between the state and the private companies. We don't know these things that make us usually take a position towards a a plan, right? So it's really too immature of a policy to evaluate from a perspective of, you know, what it's going to do and how it's going to do do that and what are the costs economically, socially, uh, in terms of uh, employment, etc. And we're talking about this plan now in light of a report that was published recently and we covered it extensively on this podcast, which is the McKinsey Report, which the government said would be the economic policy of the government, or according to the former economy minister, Raat Khouri, this would be the, the economic policy of Lebanon. And that report itself was not detailed, did not have the juice that we need to understand and to kind of have a clear position on how to go forward. And now this electricity plan comes in without the details. And then there's a sad investment which do not really match what was mentioned in the McKinsey report. So what I'm feeling is that this new government, this Adel Jadid that's coming to kind of manage Lebanon into a new era of prosperity really doesn't have anything to do with like a solid vision for development or for prosperity at all because it's basing its decisions, its economic policy, which is the most important thing that a state can do. It's basing it on a couple of reports that do not really match it. There's no coherence between the different things that reports that are being produced and therefore the policy itself will have the contradictions that have resulted in so much waste of public funds over the last few years not few years over the last two decades at least so i'm not at all optimistic about this i don't know about the technical feasibility of uh, this electricity plan we know that it's very ambitious as jessica mentioned earlier at the same time i'm thinking of it as a government policy and i'm seeing really dark 
you know, rooms that we're going to be entering in the next few years while implementing it. Yeah, I, I would say that I agree with that. But I, I, I think that there's also an outside point that I just want to note on this that doesn't really have to do necessarily with the technicalities of it. It's just that, you know, 2022 seems to be a pretty big year in the plan. And, uh, you know, that's when three of the power plants come online. But, you know, just coming from a political uh, background, oh, what else happens in 2022? Oh, we have three different elections, municipal, parliament and president all happening in the same year. It seems to me as though the plan is very conveniently timed. And that seems to be like part of the point of it. And maybe that's maybe that's a good thing. Who knows? So basically, in three years from now, we will be able to, you know, evaluate how many of these promises that are being currently made by these politicians will be achieved. And then a big, you know, a big, big burden, like not burden, but like the most vulnerable group in this uh, in this situation will be the free patriotic movement because it's responsible. First of all, it has the president and it has the energy ministry since really forever and is taking responsibility for this plan and promoting it. So this is going to be so important for their elections, not only the municipal and the parliamentary, but also who's going to be the next president of Lebanon. If they don't keep their promises, if they lose this peak of popularity that they have today, that would be a very interesting political development to watch. And of course, we will be watching it. I think that's all we have for this week. Thanks so much, Jessica, for coming on on with us uh, and shedding light uh, from from an actual expert uh, on, on this very complicated uh, subject. We will be back next week with another episode of the Lebanese Politics Podcast. Until then, though, I'm Benjamin Rad. I'm Nizar Hassan. I'm Jessica Abed. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. Lebanese Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson, and the music is by Omar Elfil.